This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark. I'm Uma Paganamke Pagan, and joining me today is author, poet, and, well, a woman who wears many, many hats, Bernice Chorley. Welcome back to Bookmark. Thank you. Uh, Bernice, before we begin, we're, we're here to talk about the Batangkali massacre, and in particular because you wrote this wonderful piece of reportage uh, for the Commonwealth edition of mm-hmm. the Griffith Review. Can you just tell us a little bit about this edition of the magazine and and what the magazine is because the magazine is a is a literary journal it's right it's a literary journal that comes out of Griffith University in Australia in Brisbane and this particular issue is on the commonwealth because this is um, a year where all the commonwealth leaders are going to be gathering in London it's the commonwealth games in Brisbane so it is a year that will celebrate um, the commonwealth as as it stands um, i was commissioned by Julianne Schultz uh, we met in London last year we were at a conference at King's College yeah. and we were at the Tower of London actually looking at you know the sort of the whole history of, of William the Conqueror and how this this came to be of British torture of British torture and, and all that and uh, we were sitting down with some of the the directors of the um, of the Tower of London and they were you know because they did that huge poppy um, 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 exhibition right. which was very very successful it commemorated all 800,046 soldiers who died during the First World War. So they wanted suggestions from us as to how to look at or relook empire. And we said, well, let the Commonwealth, countries of the Commonwealth, come to the Tower of London and create something, you know, to remember what they did to the colonies. And the directors were completely shocked. They were just like, uh... Um, we're not sure <laughs> this is going to happen. So anyway. They were like, we said celebrate. We, yeah, celebrate, celebrate, <laughs> yes. Um, so Julia and I started talking and then, you know, I mentioned the massacre and she was like, oh, well, Bernice, we're doing this issue on the Commonwealth, so why don't you write about it? And I was, okay, um, not realizing the the amount of work and research that, that I had to do just to just to find out whatever information there is online about this incident. Right. You know, you mentioned right off the top in your piece, that mm-hmm. this is not taught to us in schools, it is not a part of any kind of historical discourse mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain to people what the Batankali Massacre was. Um, the Batankali Massacre happened on the 11th and 12th of 1948, so almost exactly 70 years ago, when a group of Scots guards went into a village uh, near Batankali called Sungai Remok, uh, separated the men from the women took them away, and then shot them in cold blood. Till today, this incident um, has has been blocked many, many times, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but there has been not an apology. There's been no apology from the British government, past, present. Um, so it's, it's basically a blight that happened during the Malayan emergency from 1948 to 1960, um, where the British wanted to root out all the communists in in, in British Malaya. Right, the British My Lai. It, yes. It, it's referred to, right, yes. in reference to the Vietnam incident. Yeah. There's no concrete reason as to why these people just walked into mm-hmm. this village and killed all mm-hmm. of these men. I mean, one, yeah. of the, uh, one of the people in charge eventually had a sense of repentance. You write yes, about this. Yes. And he confessed, mm-hmm. and he said he was just given an order. Yeah. To wipe them all out. Right. That's right. Absolutely right. William Coots, who was one of the soldiers. See, the thing is, is there have been admissions from the soldiers who, who perpetrated this crime. Right. They have admitted to it that it was they were sh- they were you know shooting 
uh, um, based on orders, and um, and that yes, it was a massacre. But the British government has done nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. There have been so many investigations. There have been documentaries. There have been judicial reviews. There have been you know it's gone to court. It's gone to the Supreme Court. Nothing's happened. Okay, so we'll rewind a little bit because I think the most surprising thing for me from your piece was how much Malaya was worth Mm -hmm. to the British. Absolutely. I did not know that number. You know, we're so tiny. We're small. I thought the Raj, Mm -hmm. I thought India India was their prized possession. But Malaya generated the most income. We we, we generated 118 Pounds sterling million in pounds. nine million pounds. Sorry, one hundred eighteen million pounds sterling wow. in nineteen forty six. The rest of the colony only yielded thirty seven million. Like, we were the war chest, combined, right? Yes, combined. We were the war chest. We paid for the Second World War. Even the Sultan of Johor apparently also gave the crown half a million pounds during the Second World War. That's how rich we were. We were so rich, which is why. Which is why the loss to Japan was mm-hmm. such a blow. Yes, absolutely. That's incredible. Do you think that explains partly why they are so reluctant? Because they seem to have acknowledged a lot more of their atrocities mm-hmm. when it came to India and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So why not this? It seems like a relatively small incident in comparison to some of the other greater atrocities they committed in India. Yeah. And yet they've acknowledged that. Yeah, you know, it's it's because we we were we were fueling the empire. So from 1948 to 1960, so 12 years, yeah. It was an undeclared war, okay? Yes. It was a war, but it was an undeclared war because according to John Gullick, who was an authority on Malaya and a one-time member of the Malayan Civil Service said, it was a war though out of regard for the London insurance market on which <laughs> the Malayan economy relied for cover, no one ever used the word no one ever used the word. So for 12 years, the simple reason was that insurance rates covered losses of stocks and equipment through riot and civil commotion, but not in a civil war. That's the reason why. It was never called a war. It was never called a war. For insurance. For insurance. <laughs> Great. Unbelievable. But it was, of course, then this is why. I mean, one of the things I say in, in, the, in the article, what I'm implying is that because it wasn't a war, it wasn't deemed a war crime. All of... The victims, the survivors, mm-hmm. and are there any left? I know. No, they've all died. No, it's just died, family. Right? It's family and relatives left. Um, and you know, th- and, and all they wanted was just an apology, was an acknowledgement, and an apology. An apology. They and weren't even seeking no, reparations. Just an apology, because you know these men, they, you know, one minute they're there and then they're dead, and then you know to have these women come back and find their husbands, sons you know, brothers decomposing. I mean, you know, they were shot in the back of their heads. There, yeah. is, a, there is a great story that you recount in your piece, mm-hmm. uh, which is about um, three soldiers yes. um, of the Scots Guard mm-hmm. who didn't perpetrate this crime, but they went back to the scene mm-hmm. and they were with um, survivors. Yes. So the, the three, three of the Scots Guards come back, and this is in 1992, 1993, and they're taken back by the producers to Batankali. They and meet, this was the first documentary. This is the first documentary, the very first one. Um, so they meet with Fumoing, um, and they meet with uh, an older woman who's blind. And, but most poignantly is they meet with one of the men who, um, who wasn't a survivor, but who was a witness. He was a witness. Um, and he kept asking them, what law is there? What law is there that, that says that you have to shoot? And then the soldiers replied, well, this was a war. So there are laws that are in place. A different then, laws, that, a are different laws that are in place. And then he asks again, but if they were not running, what law is there to say that they, 
that soldiers can shoot them. And then the soldiers say, well, they must have been running because there is no law that says that you can't shoot someone who's not running. And, and there is this sense of nobility on the yes. part of the soldiers where they think there's no way we would have yes, shot them no if way. they weren't yep. running or doing yep. something, right? Yeah. And then the Chinese guy, you know, the, the, through, through the interpreter, asks again, you know, but if they weren't running and if they were shot, then what does that mean? Then he says it was a massacre. It was a massacre because these men were not running. They didn't do any, you know, they were not communists. There was no proof. There was nothing. Because there was one guy mm -hmm. who lived. There was one guy who lived. He, he fainted and he was he left for dead. He fainted and he was left for dead and he apparently survived. I mean, you know, after, after talking to Mary, I think, you know, there was, I mean, again, I can't prove this and no one can prove this, but he was kept alive for a particular reason. You know, there was a reason why he wasn't killed. Um, and we don't, till today, we'll, we'll never know that story. You don't think it was just an oversight then? I don't think so. I mean, who knows? You know, it, it, was, it, was such a, it was such a chaotic time. These were not, they were rubber tappers. Okay, they were not communist insurgents. They were, they were not hiding fugitives. They, they had no weapons. They weren't, you know, they weren't trained. Um, because again, you know, the MCP was very, very powerful at the time. You know, it was the most, it was the most organized political group in Malaya. And the British were fearful because they had unions. They had organized riots. They had organized strikes. I mean, there were over 300 strikes in 1946 in Malaya and Singapore alone. So the British were afraid because it was going to affect, you know, the, the money that they were going to get from tin and rubber. Um, so, the, you know, getting back to the story of the one survivor, um, it's, it's hard to know. You know, it's, it's, all, it's all hearsay. I don't, I don't really want to say anything because, you know, there are relatives who are still alive and, and out of respect. What, what I really feel is that, you know, these, these, these people did not get the kind of just, just an apology. You know, in South Africa, you have the whole Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Right. Here, you know, this incident was a real blight to our colonial history. I mean, there were, all, there were other there things. There were many blights. There were many yes. blights, yes. But this one was something just that went completely unacknowledged. As Malaysians, we are clueless about this. And, you know, once I, you know, I, I tell people, oh, I've just written about the Batan Kali Mexico. They're like, what? What, what? what is that? In your research, did you find any reason for why the Malaysian government was silent? Was it just because it was so long ago that it was... Yeah. That it was history yeah. and pointless. Did they just not feel any weight? You see, I mean, you know, as I say in the end, that we are complicit in this, you know, and uh, perhaps there was something that was signed between our, our founding fathers and the British government of the time, you know, sort of wiping out whatever crimes that might have been committed on Malayan soil. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I have to – apparently the migrated archives are, are in queue. So if, you know, I'm, I'm planning to go to London and if I have time to find the right documents, who knows, you know. But I think, I think there must have been some kind of agreement between Tunku and, um, and the British government at the time. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I have lawyer friends who are implying that there is a possible document of that sort. But again, we are complicit because we're, I mean, we've, we've tried. I think they're, but they're separate parties. They're not government parties. You know, we have had lawyers, we've had civil groups taking this to the UK, but the government actually has not gotten involved. And, and for me, it's, 
important in the sense that an apology and an acknowledgement is important in the sense that I don't hold the current British government or current English people accountable for mm-hmm. what their ancestors did. We don't, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it was a different time, it was a different people, mm-hmm. and it was a time of war. All these things happened. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, I always feel that we need to acknowledge these histories and only mm-hmm. when we acknowledge them and talk about them yeah. that there may be some chance that they won't happen again. Yeah. I'm not saying they won't because yeah. we're human beings and we're cruel. Yeah. And God knows we might do it again. <laughs> but at least there'll be a conversation. Yes, yes. And, and it just feels... Yeah. It feels hideous that it's been completely Absolutely wiped hideous. from our book. Absolutely hideous. And, you know, in, in uh, one of the essays as well, Shashi Taro talks about imperial amnesia, you know. History belongs in the past, but understanding it is the duty of the present. You know, we have to understand what happened. Because, you know, they, they did terrible things, terrible things. And in light of what happened with the partition in India, with what happened in Palestine, you know, again, I say at the end, it's like perhaps this was... One of the, one of the, they won the war in Malaya. It was their way of saying we did good. Yes. We didn't mess up, you know, and that and we left on good terms. Yes, and the, and the myth of British benevolence Correct. in Malaya parades until today that that they did wonderful things for us. And 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 it's not just the it's not just it's not just a myth because that's actually that's actually taught to us in schools exactly. Um, exactly. as a kind of as a kind of myth to prop up our own greatness in mm-hmm. that oh look. We didn't have to spill any blood to achieve yes, independence. Yes, yes. Uh, we achieved it through wit and negotiation, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we do to like build ourselves up as yeah, well. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. So it's a lie that we perpetrate, you know, with between us and and between between um, between the UK and between the people who come here. And you know, I, I've had a couple of English people read this, and they're just absolutely shocked. They're like, "Oh, well." <laughs> we'll see what people make of this, you know. Um, is this sort of the, the, the few seconds of silence and, and uh, you know, but, but just admit to it. I mean, really, that's it. Just admitting to it because it's like, it's like it never happened. Yeah. It's like it never happened. And that's a terrible thing. You know, it's like a ghost that haunts, that haunts you. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skeleton in the closet that's never going to go away. It, it's hard enough kind of moving past these sorts of oppressive moments in history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think Mandela had it absolutely right in his handling because he was a very shrewd politician. Mm-hmm. And that truth and reconciliation idea, that idea that somehow um, you can live together, you should live together, that it isn't one race now taking superiority over the mm-hmm. other. Um, sure, South Africa has its own set of problems right now. But for the moment, I think it was the most brilliant approach yep. Yep. in trying to come to any kind of resolution yeah. after yeah. that many decades of oppression, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'm with you when you say that there must have been some sort of agreement mm-hmm. because it feels like something binding, mm-hmm. something that someone signed yep. Yep. that prevents them from actually coming out and saying it. Mm-hmm. Because if it was so long ago... You also lose nothing by coming out and saying Exactly. Exactly. And why not just erect a memorial of some sort? Just have these names down there, you know, in stone. Oh, you've got to find that piece of paper. (sighs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, just what what I did also, I mean, the the Malayan emergency was a fascinating time. Yeah. It was absolutely fascinating. You know, the communists who had helped the British then were were basically deemed as 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 bandits and then hunted down and shamed. What happened with Chinping? He had an OBE. It was stripped. Yeah. He was the most wanted man in the British Empire. I mean, it was just fascinating because the British were doing this in Kenya at the same time. They were doing it was the it, same time as the Mau Mau Rebellion. Yeah, they were doing it in Kenya. They were 
they utilized all of these people to fight the Japanese to begin with, mm-hmm. and then you know it, it, the way it ties into all the other stories with the yeah. civil Kartigesu issue yeah. and yeah. all of these things. I mean, you're right; it's just one of the most fascinating periods of our history. It really is that yeah. is not written about enough. And yes. that is not spoken about enough. Yes. And that we yes. don't learn in schools at, at all. all. At, at all. all. At all. We're yeah. just taught they were the bad guys. Yes. That's yes. all. Yeah, that's right. Which is ironic, isn't it? Because, of course. Because we aren't taught that the British were the bad guys. <laughs> not in our books. The myth of British benevolence, you know, <laughs> that's it. It's just, it's terrible. But it's, um, you know, it was, it was a very confronting piece to write. It was... I mean, halfway through it, I thought I, 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 I was going to tell my editors, I can't do this. No, this no, no, is, but it was also so a difficult piece because when I was reading it, I could see how it must have been tough because you had to dedicate a large amount of space to provide context. Absolutely. And you had to give the entire history, history of-, of British colonialism in four paragraphs. <laughs> That's right. We're like, all right, Francis Light got here. There were residences. Yes. There you were the, the federated Malay states. You had the unfederated Malay states. It's, conf- it's confusing. It it's is. really confusing. It is. You know, and, and there was no, I mean, British Malaya was basically a loose term for British Malaya. Correct. Right? And then it was the Malayan Union and the Federation of Malaya. It was, it was very confusing. I mean, even my editors were like, this is uh, scratch, scratch, scratch. I mean, how do we <laughs> put this very succinctly? Um, and then... Putting the context of World War Two, yes, how the British were pushed back to Singapore, and then the Japanese came, and then it was the whole MPAJA, and I mean, it was a fascinating time. It really was, and it's just given me this huge interest in looking at at the notion of empire and looking what the empire did, the you know East East India Company, um, and also watching a lot of television series that deal with that era as well. <laughs> and God knows, there's a lot of that on right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bernice, where can people find the piece? You have to find it online, um, Griffith Review, or you, you have to subscribe because it has more than 30 essays written by um, noted writers from all over the Commonwealth. But you can also order a physical yes, you can. copy of yes. this issue, right? This That's is right. issue number 50? Uh, Griffith Review 59, 59. Commonwealth Now. And, and you said there was an essay by Sashi Tharo as well? Essay by Sashi Tharo. Oh, look at you, keeping some good company. Yeah. <laughs> Salil Tripathi writes a wonderful piece. Uh, Joshua Ip from Singapore writes a poem about colonialism. So there's some very interesting... Um, um, Ramesh Gunasekara writes a piece of uh, fiction as well. So it's, it's a really interesting um, compendium of reportage, fiction, poetry, memoir, essay um, from some really, really wonderful writers. And it's, it's a great honor to be a part of this. Once again, you can read Bernice Chorley's piece on the Batankali massacre at griffithreview.com. Go check it out, along with all the other wonderful writing that was commissioned for this Commonwealth edition of the journal. You've been listening to Bookmark. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.